Welcome to the Upper Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn with Houston Public Media. And I'm Eric Skelly from Rocco, the River Oaks Chamber Orchestra. And this time we're talking about Giacomo Puccini's Manon Lescaut, Eric, which debuted in 1893 in Turin, Italy. Right, not to be confused with Massenet's Manon, which debuted a bit earlier than that, but not a whole lot earlier. About nine years, uh-huh. I think, 1884. Right. Uh, it's interesting to have this compare and contrast between the Massenet and the Puccini, because as Puccini himself said, you know, Massenet's is a very French take on the, on the tale. And it is. It's a much more nuanced, delicate piece of work. Whereas Puccini's Manon Lescaut, this is Puccini's first big success, and we're seeing Puccini find himself as a composer. You know, all the elements are already there. And it's very Italian and very passionate and very grand, and yeah. Of Puccini's operas, this was the third. Yes, there was Edgar and Levili were came before it. They were not big hits. This is the first one that really took flight with the public imagination and, and launched Puccini as a as a major composer. Both the Puccini opera and the Massenet are drawn from Prévost's novel of Manon Lescaut. Right. And the story in Massenet's opera is the same story that Puccini is working off of, but he has a, well, he, I was going to say, he has a different, a different take. He reduces the sort of the sprawling 18th century uh, plot of the novel to something much more in line with a workable opera. Well, much more streamlined, which isn't to say that Massenet's is not is not stage-worthy. It most assuredly is. Right. But as you say, it's a sprawling work, and Massenet attempts to set more of that to music and, and to you know fill in the blanks a bit, whereas Puccini wants to go straight to the emotion of the moment and, and cut to the heart of things. One of the things I find interesting in terms of the differences between Massenet and Puccini is that at the end of the novel, Manon and Desgrieux are in Louisiana. Yes. Manon has been deported, deported from France to Louisiana, which was French territory. Desgrieux has gone with her, and they have set up life in New Orleans as a married couple, even though they're not married. They're passing themselves off as a married couple. Mm-hmm. And then when it becomes known that they're not actually married, there is a uh, Degria frights a duel, and he and Manon have to flee New Orleans out into the desert of Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you had checked, and the, and the the Prévost doesn't call it a desert. It calls it a wilderness. Wilderness. It's Puccini and his librettists that, <laughs> that call it a desert, uh, betraying a slightly less than perfect knowledge of American <laughs> geography. <laughs> But Act Four of Puccini's Manon Lescaut does take place in Louisiana. But the Massenet opera ends. They never she get never gets out of France. Yeah, she never gets out of France. Right. Exactly. So, do we have the same cast of characters? Roughly speaking, yeah. Yes. Yeah, we do. Uh, we have you know this young girl Manon, this this young. Uh, innocent, it's <laughs> at least at the beginning, anyway. <laughs> and uh, the young Chevalier de Grieux. Uh, we have Manon's brother Lescaut, and we have uh, her elderly 
uh, would-be suitor Geronte, and uh, and various other folks come in and out of here. But those are the those are the primary folks that we have to deal with here. As the opera opens, we are in a square in Amiens, yeah. the French city of Amiens. Right. In front of an inn, and there. Edmondo is a student, and he and uh, some of the other students are, uh, I think the word is carousing. Yeah. There are some girls in the vicinity and some alcohol, and they're having a good time. And they are teasing Des Grieux because he is sort of not joining in with the, the merrymaking. Right. Uh, and in the course of this, he has a, a sort of uh, arietta called Travoi Belle Brune e Bionde, where he's, uh, he's sort of espousing the virtues of, of all the beautiful women that uh, they have the, the chance to see ambling on by as they carouse at the... <laughs> the brunettes and the blondes. <laughs> the brunettes and the blondes. Brune e Bionde, exactly. And then a carriage arrives, and in it is Lescaux, Manon, Yes. And Geronte. Right. And Geronte, we should say, is this older gentleman, but he is also the treasurer general. He has this sort of high-ranking government position, and he is wealthy. And he is a latch. A l- <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my next comment. <laughs> but... <laughs> Lesko is actually accompanying Manon to a convent. Yes. He's taking her to a convent so that she can uh, finish her education. Right. And Gironte takes a shine to Manon as they're traveling in the coach. And Lesko sees an opportunity, doesn't he? Right. And He sort of pimps his sister he out. He kind of does, <laughs> yeah. I mean... <laughs> The plan is for Geronte to abscond with Manon in in his carriage, and uh, she sort of kidnap her. Well, in pretty essence. much, mm-hmm. pretty much. Nice guy that Lesko. <laughs> and so, Lesko is prepared to go along with this, right? Because of the financial benefits, because of the money, right? Because well, the family, the Lesko family, is suffering financially, right? But fortunately for Manon, des Grieux hears them talking about this and hears them making this plan. And he introduces himself to her and asks her if she will find him a little later on. And after she leaves, he has another arietta called Donna Non Vidi Mai. He's never seen a woman like this. He is really smitten with this young girl. This is love at first sight for both of them. Completely, yeah. And now, of course... The students are laughing at him for the opposite reason that they were laughing at him before. Because right. now he's so made up. He's so happy because he has seen this really beautiful young girl. And then she does come back. You know, when he says, you know, meet me later, she comes back and she says, huh, see, I'm a girl of my word. Yeah. And then Edmondo, he tells Degria about the plot, if you like to abscond with Manon. And so what does he say? Why don't we abscond? (laughs) Come to Paris with me. That's right. (laughs) And have a much better time. (laughs) And there is sort of 
the piece de resistance here is that Desgrieux and Manon get in Geronte's carriage yeah, yeah. and off they go. Yeah, yeah. So he's left stranded. Yes. With no girl. Right. End of Act One. End of Act One. It moves along quickly. It really does. Act Two, we have moved forward in time. And Manon is now living in luxury with Gironte in Paris. Right. In his apartments. Right. In the Massonet version, we, we have that whole scene with with Manon and Desgrieux living together. And then, you know, he's distracted and, and, and they, they get Manon out of there. And she goes to, to Geronte and breaks, breaks Desgrieux's heart, basically. There's an interesting element in Act One, and that is that early on in the opera, Lescaut doesn't think that Manon and Desgrieux have a future together. Because she likes the baubles. She yeah. likes the sparkly things. He's laid the groundwork there. That's, I mean, that's ultimately going to be her undoing. Here we are at the beginning of Act Two, and she is living that life that she sort of aspired to. She has all the baubles, she has all the jewels, etc. But she's not happy. She's not happy. She's not because she remembers what it was like to be happy when she lived with Desgrieux. And then she has what is, I would say, perhaps the most well-known aria in the score, In Quelle Trine Morbide. Surroundings that she's living in. The silk curtains and everything. But she describes them as morbide, morbid. That's <laughs> that's a very telling adjective. She feels that she's not loved. That she's sort of another one of the beautiful adornments of Gironte's house. A possession. A exactly. possession, thank you. Exactly. So she has a little bit of a levee that follows this where... Musicians come in, and there's some madrigal singers and some dancers, and, uh, you know, they have a gavotte and all this, you know, her, her morning levee. And uh, after that, Geronte and, uh, and the musicians and, and the dancers, and they all leave, and they leave Manon alone. Knowing that Manon is not happy and does not feel fulfilled where she is, Lescaut has gotten in contact with Desgrieux again. Because Desgrieux has made some money gambling. Right. And so presumably Lesko thinks, well, he might be able to keep Manon in the style to which she has become accustomed. Right. And so Desgrieux comes to Geronte's house. And surprises her. She's getting prepared for later in the day, and she's, she's talking about how pretty she's going to look. Oh, sarò la più bella. I'll be the most beautiful. And then she turns around, and there he is. And then ensues a huge, wonderful Puccinian love duet. I mean, classic Puccini. We, you know, we said earlier, this is you know, Puccini. He has found himself as a composer, found his voice. And this is a hallmark of any Puccini opera. 
is a great love duet between the tenor and the soprano, and that's this one. Amore to she she's thrilled to see him thrilled, but he's kind of standoffish. She's like, well, because wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, he's because saying. she's already abandoned him once. Yes, and he not so fast. He says not so fast. Right, but she wins him over, and then Geronte returns home. Yeah, and catches them. He is not happy, and goes out to get the police. Right. And Lescaut has, has, has come at this point to tell them, get out of here, get out of here fast. But she's too busy gathering up her jewelry <laughs> because, you know. She doesn't just, want to leave that behind. She doesn't. There's that part of her that she just can't turn off. And she delays just a fraction of a second too long. So by the time they go to actually leave the house, the doors are locked and the police are there. And this is the complete summation of who Manon is, isn't it? She loves Des Grieux. She loves him. She wants to be with him. But she can't leave the jewels behind. She can't make that choice yeah. between the jewels or love. And it ends up costing her, her and Des Grieux their happiness. Her fatal flaw. So basically, Geronte tells the police, arrest this woman. He basically has arrested as a prostitute. Or as some people say, an abandoned woman. Well, we'll get to that later, won't we? <laughs> and she's hauled off. End of Act Two. End of Act Two. Act Three, we are in Le Havre, which is a, a, a harbor port. town. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where the ship will sail from with all the uh, the criminals that are being deported right. and that to includes, Louisiana. That includes Menon. She has been tried and convicted as a prostitute. An abandoned woman, Eric. Yeah, okay, sorry. Abandoned woman. <laughs> we'll get to that in Act 4, I promise. <laughs> Des Grieux and Lescaut have followed her to La Havre, and they are trying to come up with a plan to rescue her. Right. And they manage to bribe some guards so that they can get up close enough to... You know, the um, the cell where she's being held with the other prisoners, and they could talk to her through the bars. They they actually have a rescue plan to try to spring her, um, but it's it it just doesn't work unfortunately. And she is lined up with the other prostitutes, and as as their their names are called, they're escorted up onto the ship by armed guards. Degria actually makes contact with the ship's captain. And asks him to take Degria on as part of the crew so that he can go to Louisiana as well. He completely prostrates himself and puts himself at the man's mercy and says, I can't live without this woman. You've got to let me on this ship. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Just let me go with her. I'm begging you. I mean, he's literally on his knees begging. And he makes a real impression on the captain, who agrees to take him. 
end of Act 3. End of Act 3. We're moving along. Yes, they are. Act 4, we are in Louisiana, which at that time was a French territory. Yes. Was not part of the U.S. Right. And we're in the wilderness, that big wilderness outside of New Orleans. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are swamps, but (laughs) unfortunately... The libretto here describes it as a desert. (laughs) So, okay, we'll go along with that. Manon and Desgria are out in the wilderness because they've had to flee New Orleans because uh, they have fallen victim to jealousy and intrigue. Life uh, has become much too complicated for them in New Orleans. Right. And they know that they need to get away. And Manon is not in a good way at all. She can barely walk. In fact, she falls and can't continue on at all. And everything is sort of coming to a head here. Everything that some might say they have brought upon themselves. A little harsh, but okay. (laughs) So basically she falls and Desgrieux says, just, you know, stay here and rest. I'll go get water for you. And he goes off to look for water And then she has her other gigantic aria. And this is gigantic. This is a big sing, folks. The aria is called Sola Perduta Abandonata. Alone, lost, abandoned. She has, she's given up. She really has given up in this aria. And it's big and it's passionate. And toward the end, she finally says, no, no, I I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I do, you know, she emphatically you know, she's practically screaming, I don't want to die. And she dies. Well, not until Degria comes back and she, she actually dies in his arms. And he collapses next to her yeah. in sorrow and grief. And it's amazing the transformation in Manon. Here she is completely wiped out by everything to the point that she dies. Yeah. And you compare that to the young girl that we meet in Act 1, who is so full of life and beautiful and has so much promise. Yeah, it it is a real tragedy. End of opera. End of opera. So we have Manon, Massenet's Manon, and we have Puccini's Manon Lescaut. Right. And the funny thing is, they asked Puccini, you know, well, you know, Massenet's already done this. And and, and Puccini's answer, as we said before, was that Massenet's was a very French take on it. Mine will be an Italian take. And the the funny thing is that there was just this army of people who had their hands on this libretto. I mean, you had Idica and Giacosa, who became Puccini's principal librettists, and they would do Mm -hmm. Bohème with him and Butterfly and Tosca. And even at one point, Ruggiero Leon Cavallo, the composer of Pagliacci, had his hand on this libretto, which is funny because... Later on, in fact, not much later on, both he and Puccini would wind up writing competing bohems. <laughs> Puccini never, never shrinking from a challenge. So is it fair to compare the Massenet and Puccini versions of this story? I don't think you have to compare them. I think you, you, you take them each for their own, on their own merits because they both have considerable merits. Mm-hmm. And it just depends upon uh, which you prefer or you might, you might just enjoy them both for their own strengths because they, they, they both have considerable strengths and they're wonderful uh, additions to the standard rep. 
And at their core, both Manon and Desgrieux are exactly the same in each opera as they are in Prévost's book. Yeah. Giacomo Puccini's Manolesco. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm St. John Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening. <laughs>